This is Danny Jolkin, and you're listening to the Level Flight Podcast. Welcome into episode 61 of the Level Flight Podcast. We've got a full crew back today. We're stringing a few weeks together here with all three of us. we got to keep that rolling. Um, but yeah, Brian, Elliot, how are we doing? Good. I, I mean, we've been, since the last episode, we've been talking about how good the team's been. And there is nothing that has changed that uh, narrative over the last week since we last recorded. They've won every game since then. So... Uh, the, the vibes are are good. Vibes are fantastic. This is what I guess this is what it feels like to have a franchise that like wins a lot of games. I, I wouldn't the only way that I've kind of experienced that is being a Kansas Jayhawks basketball fan. That's about it. Um other than that, you know, every other team I support is A either rebuilding or B mediocre. So this is so fun. We pick Jets, who yep. are the number one team in the NHL. At the time of this recording, I believe they will be because none of the teams that can catch them play tonight. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday. But yeah, like you said, Brian, this team just keeps winning. They're 15-1-2 and two in their last, what is that, 17-18. Um, they're unbelievable. The, the streaks, we'll get into them. We'll do the game recaps and then we'll list off every streak that they're currently holding because there's a lot of them. Um, but let's get into it. Game recaps. They went on a three-game road trip. It was the dad slash mentors trip. And if you haven't already, I'm sure you've seen it, but if you haven't already, go check out Connor Hellebuck's dad's Twitter, Chuck Hellebuck. Um, he did a great job keeping people informed on what the dads were up to, what the team was up to on their off day, um, some of the press what box What the food meals. choice was. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so props to Chuck Hellebuck uh, for keeping everyone What involved. we found out, Chuck, anti-salad. Yeah. Well, typical dad. Right? Yeah. Anti-tofu <laughs> as well. That was my favorite. I think that was my favorite tweet of the trip was um it was like burgers destroyed. Um it was like some something else this completely guy. empty, salad untouched. And he was like typical dads or something was the tweet yeah. oh, man. <laughs> it was great. But Chuck Chuck was an absolute legend. He was actually still in the building last night for the game against Columbus. Um, my favorite tweet from him last night, I guess we're just rolling through this. Was he had a Stella Artois beer? He just yeah. posted a photo of it. I'm really liking Stella Artois beer tonight. All right, all right, Chuck. <laughs> just he guys, can't, he being can't dudes. leave now. Just yeah, just guys being dudes. He can't um, lose. He can't no. lose. <laughs> and this all started on the mentors trip. So let's we'll get back on track with uh, the Winnipeg Jets. They started that game San Jose. They won two one, and then the second night of a back to back, they beat the Ducks three one. Um, was there anything you guys took away? I, I'm kind of lumping these games both into one. It was late starts. They didn't give up more than three goals. We know that streak's still alive. Um, and they kind of just barely squeaked by both of these teams that they should have destroyed. But, hey, they won. Um, what were your guys' thoughts? Brian, I'll start with you from both those games um, combined. 
Well, I mean, it's a matter too of like they're still winning regardless of how it's it's coming. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like for things like the Sharks game for the especially the first period, the Jets were all over them. Um, But you had a a good game from from Hellebuck against a Sharks team with very little firepower. Um, But then you also had a fantastic game from Brassois in Anaheim, and it was a matter of. So I, I honestly think that Brassois was a little bit of the difference maker there because uh, they went down early. Um, they were down one nothing after one in Anaheim, and then uh, that was it. That was all they got. And then we we saw a Nate Schmidt game winner. Yeah, and I is it first of the year, so uh, I I really think that it's one of those things where this team is finding ways to win games that they they, they should be winning. But they're finding ways to win uh, if the other guys aren't clicking as as closely at that point. And they were down one nothing in both games, so yeah, the ability to you know push back, um, <laughs> even against even against some of the weaker teams in the league. But I said at the start, like they're they weren't really dominating these games, but they also weren't getting thoroughly outplayed. This isn't like a last year situation where. They're getting dominated, and Connor Hellbuck makes fifty whatever saves, and the Jets win. No, they're it's even or slightly above even in the Jets' favor, and they come out on top because they have better goaltending, better defense, etc. Um, and the special teams actually in both of these games got on the board. The San Jose game. Before we get Elliot's thoughts, I want to highlight the game winner in that one. Gabe Velarde on the power play, scoring from the only spot he scores from, which is directly in the crease. Um, and uh, a nice pass from Nikolai Ehlers, but the power play in a huge spot. I think there was like six minutes left in that game, and they finally converted and uh, gave the Jets the 2-1 win, which was nice to see. And then Perfetti on the one-timer the next game against Anaheim. We'll talk about Perfetti more because he kept it rolling. Um, but, Elliot, what were your thoughts on the two the two early California games there with uh, – or late California games, I mean, with uh, – <laughs> San Jose and Anaheim. I thought they played really, really well. Um, The Sharks game, it kind of felt like a little bit of a sleeper. It wasn't really the most entertaining game, but if you're the Jets, you don't want the Sharks to look entertaining. Like, they're a bad team. You want to make sure that they continue to not play their strengths, continue their losing role. Um, And, yeah, Velarde's bunt goal was the best, best goal I've ever seen. Um, inter- uh, in- just kidding. Um, but I did really enjoy um, their power play and how they've continued to move the puck for the most part and yeah. look for, like, we'll talk about in the Columbus game, they scored 16 seconds into a power play. Like, they haven't done that yet. This They hadn't done that up until that point this year. So, but just speaking on the two California games, I thought the Jets were really good. Like, I, there's really not much else to really say. Like it, they're just rolling right now, and that's that's just the way you gotta put it. Yeah, I hundred percent agree. Um, especially with the power play, I we talked about it last episode. I think it was that there was a clear like shot first mentality. I think it's working, um, and they're finally scoring. Rick Bonus would agree. Said it's not a momentum killer anymore. It's we're generating chances, and the goals will come off of that. And this is all without their top power play player in Kyle Connor, right? Um, but they kept that rolling. And then Sunday's game against the Arizona Coyotes. I mean, there there's a lot of ways you can describe this game. Uh, this one was not close whatsoever. Um, the Jets win 6-2. Uh, the Coyotes finished with 17 shots on goal. 
And one of their goals was Hellebuck trying to do too much out of the net, playing the puck. And, you know, that happens. Like, you see goalies around the league do that. I thought Hellebuck's actually been pretty good at that this year, playing the puck, um, especially compared to years past. But it just it was just a smothering game. And this was the typical Winnipeg Jets that we've seen. They scored six goals, um, and Arizona had no push. They had 17 shots on goal through the whole game. Like it was, it was one of the most impressive wins of the year, especially third game in four nights, end of a road trip. All the excuses we've heard in the past that this team just does not care about whatsoever. Um, what were your guys' thoughts? Elliot, I'll start with you again. The the Arizona game, just the dominant 6-2 win. Yeah, you say the word dominance, and yeah, that's what it was. They they were really good. Like it, they they deserved the off day after the first two games. And I kind of thought, well, they went to the links. The dads are here. They've probably been right. kind of relaxed. And I was a little worried that they maybe fall out of rhythm in this Arizona game. And, no, I, I was at my girlfriend's ring at game. I pull up my phone because I didn't end up watching the first period. I ended up watching the rest of the game. Pull up my phone. They go, oh, Corral Vejimelka, okay, 13 to 14 saves, not bad. I flip over. Connor Hellebuck, five saves. What the? And I'm like. <laughs> Yeah. I'm like, what what's happened? So then I obviously go back and I look and I go, oh, well, the Jets were dominating. They had power plays. They were getting – they were drawing penalties. They were all over Arizona. And I just think that it, it, they – they again, they're on a roll, but it's it's not by just doing one thing. They're not just scoring a bunch of goals and Hellebuck's making a bunch of saves. No, this is good team defense. They are still finding the back of the net. They're generating and converting on chances. And then they're also, and I think this is something that nobody's really talked about. When I talked about it actually on game over uh, for the Sharks game, the Jets have become a very disciplined hockey team. Mm-hmm. It's mo- it's become more like if they get more than two penalties in the game, like if they have more than four penalty minutes in the game, either A, there was a fight, or B, I don't, I'm not sure what it is. But I think game management. Yeah, it's been it's been really good, especially when they've gone up in games. They've mm. been really good about making sure to check their sticks. They're not hitting guys late. They're not trying to do anything to have the ordinary ordinary. And it's not like they're setting up like a tra- a super crazy trap or anything to try to stop teams. It's just they're keeping teams in check and they're keeping themselves in check. And I think that that is what has really put this team over the top is just that ability to game manage and to make sure that they don't allow a game to get out of hand by allowing a team to score a power play goal or even putting a team on a power play. Yeah, and that all feeds off of their five-on-five defense, which is the best in the NHL. Like when you when you protect the house as good as they have, you're not gonna ha- you don't have to take many penalties because you trust in the system, you trust in your goalie. Um, you don't have to reach for that puck. You don't have to reach in the guy's midsection and hook him. You don't have to um, slide to block the shot and take the guy's legs out, right? Um, or go for that hit to take yourself out of position because you know if you stay right here in this position, the other team's not scoring. Uh, Brian, 6-2, huge win against a playoff team at the time. Arizona was the second wild card. Now they're out of, out of a playoff spot as we record yep. this. But playoff team at the time, third game in four nights, wrap up the dad's trip. I agree with Elliot. I expected a bit of a letdown, but clearly that was not the case. Well, I mean, I've come to a point now where I'm expecting a really good effort. It's 
um, in you know other games that they probably should have been a step or so behind. Um, I saw it was really funny. I saw a thing in uh, a Facebook group um, that, as uh, oh we know, it's they can be something. And I saw a thing that said uh, the Jets were out golfing um, with their dad slash mentor uh, this morning, the morning of a game. Uh, so don't be surprised to see them lose tonight. I'm like, well, I that has, first of all, no bearing. But secondly, maybe yeah. they should golf more. Well, but you can't do that here, though. You, right. That's well, kind of that hard attitude. to do at home. <laughs> so what you're trying yeah, to tell me golf is... simulators. Yeah, I guess so. And I guess you got the golf dome, but... Yeah, go, go, to, the, go to the dome. Yeah, just, abs- just rent go. out the, do- the golf dome the every dome. time after morning, <laughs> uh, morning skate. Just morning yeah. skate, golf dome, nap, game time. But, but and, when and, you and need... reap the rewards because you'll just dominate as we've as we've seen yeah you'll dominate uh, but, everybody but yeah but no like it, it's just one of those things and uh i want to build off of what elliot was saying where it was like they're being very disciplined and it's a good thing because uh at the time of this recording they are uh 26th in the league with penalty kill percentage um so you need to be disciplined when you're struggling to keep the puck out of your net on the power play um so yeah, it it's one of the it, it, special teams are still the thing that you can point to and say that this needs to be improved. But that's really it. Everything else is you're you're looking at. It and you go, just keep doing what you're doing. And even then, like you were saying, Connor, like the power play is no longer a momentum killer. They're uh, you know getting chances. We're going to talk about it more now. But um, in the uh, the most recent one against Columbus, they scored a power play goal it took them 16 seconds to do it um which i want to talk about the circumstances of that a little bit more but uh it it's the penalty kill that they really you need to figure out something to make it a little bit more successful because against teams that uh you know can really fire it past you if you take a penalty you can really pay for it it's it's truly incredible that they're in this spot and with all these streaks with a bad power play and penalty kill like like bottom 10 in the league in both it's it's really honestly hard to hard to wrap my head around because yeah to be that dominant uh and first in the nhl like we've seen teams like the tampa bay team that set the record uh boss or and then boston who then broke the record for all these points these teams had like Top five, especially Tampa, had like the number one power play. Edmonton is the number one power play every year because they have McDavid and Dry side on. They win games because of it. They beat teams by a ton. Um, you just see these elite teams just destroy other teams because their power play scores three goals in a night because they have Connor McDavid and they're good to go. Um, the Jets are kind of like doing it the hard way, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, they're just winning at five on five. They're just so much better than you at five on five that it doesn't matter if you score a power play goal or two and we score zero. We're still going to beat you three nothing at five on five. And and that's the game, right? It's it's really remarkable. Um, another game where, again, we've described it this whole episode, but they, they keep doing it. They win five nothing against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything really to take away from this game besides that that 16 second power play goal. Um, but 
first thing I want to say is in the post game, you know, we talked to Perfetti, we talked to Dylan, and then obviously bonus. All three of them said, you know, like we didn't have 100% energy tonight. We didn't have our A game, et cetera, which they didn't. Like they came out flat in the first. Um, mm-hmm. Again, to be expected, first home game after a long road trip. Okay, they were still winning one nothing. Um, I think the second and third, like they they kind of slept walked through it. But again, they 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 capitalized on their mm-hmm. chances. Josh Morrissey with an incredible goal. Um, but to hear all three of them say like, "Hey, we didn't have our 100% energy. We didn't have our A game," and then you like are wrapping your head around it or like writing a story about the game, and then you realize that they won five nothing. And I know Columbus isn't good, but in the National Hockey League, if one team doesn't have 100% of their energy or their A game, and they still win five nothing, that's that's pretty crazy. And uh, I know like the the deserved winnow meter um, on Money Puck was like in Columbus's favor, which was really interesting. Um, but Carter Hellbuck was great. Um, but like I said earlier, I think these these models are kind of underrating the Jets' chances. Uh, you know, when they are on the cycle, or Josh Morrissey's shot from the left slot i mean if that's pick your pick your defenseman on the columbus blue jackets if that's any of them um that puck's not going in but it's josh morrissey and he's one of the best offensive defensemen in the league right um so it's a spot like yeah yeah that was that was a rocket but the it was just really interesting to see i wanted to lead with that that all three of them said you know we weren't our best tonight we didn't have our best energy our best game and then you realize they beat another professional hockey team 5 nothing. Um Columbus isn't good but still impressive. Um Brian, your thoughts on the 5 nothing win. Well, that's the thing, right? Like it's when teams aren't good, you need to regardless of your effort, you need to beat them. So it really goes to show sort of where they're at right now where they can think that they're not playing their best and like they they really like it definitely wasn't like one of their their best games. Um yeah. but they still won five, nothing like, and it was never a point where I was like, Oh, Columbus is pressing to, you know, get the equalizer at any point. Um, but no, that's, that's really all I have to say on it was just like, they, they took care of business regardless of sort of where they were at last night. And I think that's a real Testament to where they are right now, where they truly think that they need to improve even after winning five, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Elliot, your thoughts? Yeah, I I, I kind of want to second that and just say, as much as we've seen this team be good, we haven't had, like, the Jets haven't had that huge, like, statement victory where they beat a really good team, like, really bad, like, a 4-5 nothing. But we also hadn't seen them have a game where they go out and they don't play well and they still dominate the team. And we finally got that last night. And I think that's, as bad as this is to say, I think that's the mark of a really good team. If they can play a team that they should be beating and the other team isn't playing great and you're not playing great and you smoke them, I think that shows the quality in your team and it shows how good you are, right? Like they got, I think honestly, to be honest, the Sharks are technically the worst team in the league, I guess on paper. And I didn't really see that same with like Anaheim's not one of the better teams in the league. And they both, both of them gave the jets a better game than Columbus did. And the jets gave more in those other two games and came away with a win and looked like the better team, but they really had to work for it. 
Like they probably mm-hmm. could have lost, lost both those games if they had played the way that they had played against Columbus. Columbus came out kind of meh. The Jets came out completely flat. And the final score is 5 nothing. Connor Hellebuck, 34th career shutout. And it's and we're sitting here going, okay, they've won another four in a row since the last time we were on. Like, yeah. That's, that's where I think that they're they they have turned the corner and they are really looking like a good team. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And let's let's roll through these streaks um because there are a lot of them, and then we'll we'll head to break and we've got we, we want to talk. We want to compare this team to the best Jets team since Sacrilege. we came back. The the 2017-18 team. So we're going to do that after the break. Um, and uh, and we're also going to talk about some of the injuries and where these these players that are currently hurt may, may slot back into the lineup. But first, 30 straight games allowing three goals or less. 18 straight allowing two goals or less in regulation. Uh, 17 of those 18 games, they actually allowed two or less. And then the one... Is was an overtime loss to Montreal, so you throw a little regulation in there, and uh, that that record is pristine. Eleven zero and two in their last thirteen, which is a franchise record point streak. It was it was a record at nine zero and two, and they've won two, so they're just keep pushing it. They tied their franchise record in wins last night with seven straight, uh, and they can they can go for eight when you're hearing this tonight against the Chicago Blackhawks or the Rockford Ice Hogs. Um, I'm not going to say anything about that because (laughs) even without Bedard, like I just, I I just, for some reason, the the Hawks just seem to play us hard regardless. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's divisional. They have a reason to get up in the morning. Jason Dickinson, six goal game. (laughs) Hey, he's got more points than PLD. So to break all the streaks. Yeah. Like Adam Lowry has more points than PLD. What's your, like everyone has more points than PLD. Yeah, I'm just saying. Just um, saying. Rub and salt then, in the wound. And then last thing, which is just kind of a personal streak. Also, okay, there's two personal streaks. Hellebuck is also on his own record-setting point streak, which is the same as the Jets one, 11-0-2. Uh, and then Cole Perfetti's on a three-game goal streak because he scored. So he's got four goals in his last three games. He scored two against Columbus last night. First Both multi-goal really game. Nice. First career multi-goal game. He was out there a lot late. Rick Bonus said after the game, he's trying to get him the hat trick, um, but unfortunately, didn't get it. He had a huge block shot right at the horn, though, which oh. is an entirely different discussion because get out of the way. Like it's five nothing, whatever. I, the team, the team liked it, um, but if he breaks his foot, I'm sure they wouldn't have. That's all I'm going to say yeah. on that. Well, um, we almost lost two players then, that because we right. forgot to mention. We should about... mention Mark Shifley yeah. took a puck oh. to the ear. Everyone was having PTSD flashbacks mm-hmm. to Brian Little. Turns out Shifley was okay. It was precautionary. Couple um, stitches. Stitches in his ear. It was bloody. Um, but he he's okay and he should be fine and in the lineup Thursday against Chicago. I mean, uh, if he isn't, yeah, that was that was <laughs> that was a scary situation though. Uh, especially since you know Brian Little, same end of the ice, ear. same end of the ice, same thing. Guy holding his ear going off the ice. This, Scary situation for sure, but Shifley was okay. And Jets fans were very relieved to see that. Um, let's head to break. We got some fun discussions coming up after the break, comparing this team to the team that went to the Western Conference Finals in 2017-18 and talking about some injured players, where they may slot back into the lineup when they're healthy, which may be soon for some other guys, um, sooner rather than later at least. So let's head to break. Hear a word from our sponsor, DraftKings. 
and we will be right back. We know hockey games move fast, but with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, you can score faster than anything happening on the ice. This week, new customers can bet 5 bucks and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app with code THPN. New customers bet $5 on the NHL and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY or 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-QUADRUPLE-7 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2024. All rights reserved. And welcome back into episode 61 of the Level Flight Podcast. Thank you once again to DraftKings for sponsoring this episode. And like we said before break, we've got a few fun segments coming up. We're going to compare this Jets team to the one that went to the Western Conference Finals 2017-18. But before we do that, there's a lot of players that were injured, a lot of players in a depth role. Uh, Kyle Connor certainly not in a depth role, but he's one of the players that will be back in two weeks as well. There's a lot of players that are getting healthy. Um, and where do they slot back into the lineup? It's an interesting conversation to have because this team, like we've said all episode, rolling, number one in the league, uh, playing incredibly cohesive as a unit. Um, where do we think? Let's let, let's start with Rasmus Kapari, who got sent down to the Moose on a conditioning stint. Um, do we think he, after his conditioning stint, that's about two weeks, um, do we think he slots back into the lineup? Is he the 13th forward? Maybe he goes in for Axel Johnson Fialbi. Where do you guys think? Rasmus Kapari slots in. And I guess you could slide Gustafson into that mix too, but bonus said he's he's still a ways away and he's still on injured reserve. Um, but just kind of the fourth line, if Gustafson and Kapari were both healthy, what would you guys do with that scenario? I'll start with you, Brian. Well, for me, and I've talked about this before, where it's that fourth line, yes, they're creating, but they're not going to move the needle enough that if you swap someone in on that line, they're going to lose any and all impact, yeah. right? So whether you're sliding Kupari in uh, for Toninato at center um, or you're sliding him in for Janssen Fialbi on the wing, um, I think that happens eventually uh, because the, the team showed early in the season that they liked what they saw out of him. So... Um, I think at some point or another, you're going to see him back on that fourth line. And I don't think if anyone's making a deal about it, it's worth the effort of, you know, getting upset because it's a negligible difference and you're, you're still getting the speed. That's the biggest thing for them is, you know, the speed and getting into on pucks quickly. Um, and yeah, like, I, I feel like it'll be nice to, to have someone like Kapari who can just step in whenever, uh, because the depth yeah. is nice. But it's not like we're gonna see like the fourth line, you know, take off or get totally sunk by one guy like Kapari coming in. Yeah, yeah, Elliot. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's kind of hard to say to, for me. For most, for I guess for when it comes to Gustafson and Kapari, 
I have to say it'll for me it would have to be based on form. Like if Toninado and Yonta Fialbi are still playing well, okay, well then I'm gonna have Gustafson sit in the press box and I'll send Kapari back down so he's at least getting some ice time so he can keep playing. Um but like if Toninado isn't giving you what he was like, that's gonna be hard for a guy who's a fourth liner to keep up that five points in five games, like that point yeah. per game streak. Same with Yance Fialbi continuing to be like he's looked good, but it's gonna be harder for him to continue the production. So again, for me, if those guys are playing well when Kupari is ready to come back and you gotta make a decision, then I think maybe you slide Kupari back in the lineup. I've been a big fan of his this season. I thought he looked good before his injury. But again, if that fourth line is playing well, then don't touch anything. You don't need to slide the player like that back into the lineup. Now, things probably do get shuffled around when it comes to someone like Kyle Connor that needs right. to come in, but we'll get we'll get to that in the moment. If if it has to do between just looking at the fourth line, Kapari comes back after two weeks, that fourth line's playing well. You make it you make a decision that benefits your team in that time. Because guess what you can do? You can make changes once it's not working. How about let's not make changes when things are working? Yeah, I the the fourth line's working, but like you said, I don't think it's sustainable. It's not gonna like Tonano has never been a point per game player, especially on the fourth line. It's 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 funny because uh, the thing it comes down to what it comes down to for me is the fact that Kapari would need waivers, uh, so would Toninato, and one of them is clearing and one of them is not. I can tell you that right now. Rasmus Kapari would not clear waivers. Um, yeah. But Dominic Toninato will. So what it comes down to for, for me is you slide Kapari back in, you send Toninato down. He's been great, um, but it's just kind of uh, – a waivers casualty, if you will, because one of those guys is clearing and the other one isn't. As for David Gustafson, I think he's lost his role on the fourth line. He's he's 13th forward press box when he comes back because between Yonten, Fialbi, Kapari, and Barron, you've got a lot of speed on that fourth line, which gives them an identity. Um, and they've had an identity as currently constructed. They've been a, a line that just grinds down low uh, great forechecking. Yonsen Fialbi leads the charge in that. He's fast and he gets in on the forecheck and he's he's great at that. Um, and I think with Kapari, you could even lean into that a little bit more. I'm not saying with Kapari, the fourth line will be better because they've been like unsustainably good. Um, but it, they're 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 doing just fine. But I think it comes down to waivers and Tonanato clears and Kapari doesn't. And I think that's that's where the conversation starts and ends for me. Um, as for the back end, let's move on to Vili Hanala, who sh- recently shed his non-contact jersey. He's coming back into the lineup soon. Nate Schmidt just scored his first goal of the year. Like we said earlier, it was a game winner against Anaheim. Uh, Nate Schmidt and Dylan Sandberg, uh, I wrote in a piece today, uh, of defensive pairings with at least 150 minutes played. They are the number one pairing in the league and expected goals against per 60. So they're playing great. Nate Schmidt's playing the best hockey of the season so far for him. Uh, he's had a good two-week stretch here. Which he's been really, really solid on that third pairing. And it's, it's again, we're going to have the waivers conversation again. We had it back in training camp. We had it at the end of training camp when Hanala got hurt. Um, and now we're having it again. But, Brian, I'll start with you. Do you think Hanala slots back into the Jets lineup when he's healthy? Or do you think they keep him down with the Moose just simply because Schmidt is – kind of taking that role and run with it. Uh, yeah, I, I, unless 
there's a string of injuries. I don't think we see see uh, Vili Hainala in the NHL for the rest of this season, um, because it sucks for him because like he'd won that spot out of camp. Um, mm-hmm. But there is absolutely no reason at this moment in time that the Jets coaching staff would you know look to bring him in and make a change that way. Um, obviously, I think that he could make an impact with his offense, but I, I truly think that with what they've got going right now, it seems highly unlikely that we see him even in the NHL at all. And that's the thing. His waiver exemption makes it, you don't even have to sign up for a uh, conditioning stint. It's going to just be, he was assigned to the AHL and he can stay down there for as long as they need him to. Um, I truly don't think that, I think at most you're probably going to see him up as a, a, a black ace late in the year where he will be ready to go if needed. But for right now, it's, it's not looking good for Billy, which unfortunately, as I said, unfortunate for him because this was the year that he had won that spot. But that horribly timed injury uh, has led to him losing his spot, even in like the NHL rotation. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know because I think I agree with you on most fronts, but Rick Bonus has been pretty adamant that he won that job out of camp, and I think mm-hmm. he'll still get like he he'll go to the Moose. Uh, for an unofficial conditioning stint, 100%. Um, because he's waivers exempt, why not? Send him down, have him play big minutes with the Moose, get back up to speed. Um, then, from there, I think you may see him mix into the lineup. But then again, if you bring him up to rotate him in with Schmidt, then you have to put someone through waivers, a.k.a. Stanley or Chisholm. Um, and we've been pretty vocal on this podcast that Logan Stanley, if you put him on waivers and someone claims them, that's fine. It's a roster spot opened up. Uh, Probably like more of a seventh. positive than anything else at this point. And then yeah, for anyone other up. than the Jets organization. And you can like rotate Hanala and Schmidt in at that point, even Chisholm, um, who hasn't played in, in months now. But it's it's going to be really interesting to see if they mix him in. Elliot, what are your thoughts? Hanala is healthy. He's played with the Moose. Does he get called up and someone gets sent down or is he – is he with the moose? My biggest thing is if Schmidt doesn't have the last two weeks that he's had and scored and looked as good as he does, I think Hamela comes right back in and takes a spot. But Schmidt's looked good. And so it it would be kind of difficult and be kind of going against the grain of what I've been saying about put the best lineup out there with in terms of form. So that's kind of counter to if I say Schmidt's playing well, but oh, Billy's back, take him out. Right? Yeah. So I think it all depends if Schmidt goes back to kind of being eh, like not that much of a difference slash like not moving the needle enough. Then I would say, yes, call him back up, put, give him a string of four or five games. If at that point, then he isn't, then fine. Give up for the season. And like Brian said, be a black ace and kind of bring him in if he's going to do that. But yeah, I think then if you bring him up, then you do have to make a decision again. And mm-hmm. I don't know where the Jets go with that. I'm assuming yeah. would, I believe both Chisholm and Stanley are both would both have to clear waivers. They would both have to, yeah. So yeah. So that and that will be the that and that is the thing where I get snagged on is if Villy does come up, then it's kind of like, oh well, let's say a defenseman gets hurt. They go, okay, well, let's give you let's give Villy a chance before the other two guys call him up. Oh, he's not playing well. Well, we're not going to keep him in the press box. We're going to send him right back down and roll with who we have. So it's it'll be a very interesting situation. 
Um, because yeah, the Jets are just waiting on medical clearance to send him down essentially. Like they're just waiting on the okay and he'll be with the moose. So yeah. uh we'll we'll see how where that goes. But yeah, I think for Villy to have to get back into the lineup, it's Schmidt has to not play as well as he has in the last two weeks. Um, and them to decide that Stanley hasn't given them enough and Chisholm hasn't played at all. Yeah. And it's it's a decision they'll have to make soon because, like you said, they're just waiting on medical clearance. Uh, Hanel has already shed the non-contact. As for the last guy who's injured, um, and it's really remarkable to think about, you know, we talk about all these streaks the Jets are on, how good they're playing, they're top of the league. Kyle Connors hasn't been here for it. Like, he just hasn't. Um, he's been out for the last four weeks, uh, and the Jets in that time have an incredible record. Um, and I, like I said, they're keeping on these streaks a lot, but their top goal scorer, who's still their top goal scorer as we, as we sit here today, still the number one scorer on the jets. Um, even though he's missed the last four weeks has been out. Where does he slot back in? There was a report. Darren Dreger said the jets are, are salivating quote unquote that, that, yeah. Uh, that, that to put Connor Shifley and Velarde back together, um, which Ehlers, Shifley and Velarde have been really good analytics counting stats whatever you want to look at eye test they've been great so i don't know what they do there um just quick thoughts because we're still like two three weeks away from connor returning so um maybe we won't go too deep on this but quick thoughts brian on where connor maybe slots back in if he was healthy today let's pose the question that way if he was coming back into the lineup tonight um where would you slot him in uh, i would essentially just straight swap him in for uh, I follow on the second line. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I mean, at that point too, because then you also have a great sort of ideas to whether or not uh, Perfetti and Nemestikov, what their impact defensively does for Connor's game, because uh, as we know, uh, not exactly a defensive stalwart. Um, <laughs> but if you have two guys who are really good on both sides of the puck, Suddenly, that opens a few more things up for Connor. Uh, you, you, you obviously you've got the the history with Shifley and Velarde in that little that little sample size early, um, but you also have to look at the fact that stylistically, Perfetti would play really well with a guy like Connor, who is a pure shooter. So, yep. if you put those guys together, I think that that would be perfect. Um, I do still think they need to address a need at that second line center. I think Nemestikov has been great in that role, but I, I do think that is a place uh, that they need to upgrade. But then you uh, would have a Connor acquired center Perfetti line. And then yeah. you essentially have two first lines. So yeah, I, I, th I think that's, that would be the place that I would put him in. Yep. Elliot. I 100% agree but I will disagree that that is where he will go. We all know where he's going to go. He's going to go right back to where he was right before, even though the funny thing is the common denominator through this entire year of Velarde getting hurt and then um, Connor getting hurt, the one guy who has been the common denominator, and I'm not even going to say Mark Shifley, it's been Nikolai Ehlers. Mm -hmm. Nikolai Ehlers has been the common denominator. So you're not going to reward him for his crazy level of play with sticking with the line that he has been comfortable with and where he where he deserves to be. Now, I think 
if even if you let's say you throw Connor Shifley Velarde, your second line is still then Ehlers, Perfetti, either Nemesikov or like Brian said, acquired center. That is still a really good second line. But I do agree with you, Brian. Kyle Connor should go back on the second line just for the time being until that first line either A completely cools off or B Kyle Connor. Well, if Kyle Connor is dominating on the second line with Cole Perfetti, I God, I don't like I, I think you also need to look at it in terms of like a matchup perspective. If I'm the Jets, I would bring Kyle Connor back on the second line because then you're getting either Kyle Connor's line is either getting the best from every team, like whatever the best defensive line is. And then Shifley Ehlers Velarde gets the not as good defensive matchup, mm-hmm. right? You have to think of it in terms of matchups. Or if the teams want to go, well, the first line's doing so well. Okay, well, then Kyle Connor is going to get so many chances because Velarde's just going to keep finding him through not as good defensive lines, right? Like when it comes to matchups, I think that's how they need to make it work. Um, because then you have a threat on – you still have a threat on either line even if Kyle Connor goes back to the first. But I really think that you have a unreal second line if you put Kyle Connor back there. Um, but we all know where he's going to go. He's going to go right back to the first line. We're going to see how that works uh, once he comes back. I'm, gonna, I'm booking it right now. That's why I'm speaking like <laughs> that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I really do think that Connor should be on the second line. But he'll go back to the first line. They'll roll with what they had in that little, little spurt of the mm. original three that we saw. And I'm sure they'll be just fine. I'm sure they'll do the same chance creating. I just don't think they're going to be as good as this Ehlers, Shifley, Filardi line. Yeah. And I agree with what you said that Ehlers has been the common denominator this year. Like every line she's been on, excuse me, has, uh, has dominated analytically, goals, whatever you want, like real goals, whatever you want to look at. Um, Ehlers has been been the guy and he's he's going to pass Kyle Connor or he's close to passing him in goals um on the season and he's having a great year he's on pace for near 30 goals so Nikolai Ehlers uh deserves top line minutes he deserves to be with the best players Shifley and Velarde um and we'll see we'll see what they do maybe they go back to Ehlers Shifley Connor because they rolled with that a little bit this year as well when Velarde was out so Interesting, interesting options. This team is so deep that you, there can so many combinations that you can you can roll with uh, that it'll be really interesting to look at. Um, 2017-18. Uh, let's get into this because the that team was it has been up until this point widely regarded as the best best Jets team since their return since 2011. Uh, now there's a debate. Because the Winnipeg Jets, as we know, number one in the NHL, all the streaks I mentioned before the break, uh, like there's there's a lot to digest here when comparing these two teams, and I'm interested in your guys' thoughts. Um, I don't I don't know if I want to just throw the question out there, which team do you guys think is better? Um, but maybe we'll start with that, and more questions and conversation will come out of it. Um, so just initial quick thoughts. Um, and maybe a little bit of, of discourse on it, but which team on the surface do you guys think is better this this year? Obviously, we still got half the season to, to go, um, but this year or 2017-18, Elliot, I'll start with you. I think it's really hard because I personally would go, like if I had to pick a more star-studded core, I'd probably go with the 17-18 team. Like they have more quote-unquote no names and there's more are more star power or pull power. 
Mm-hmm. But if I'm going for deep team, then I'm obviously going to pick this year's squad. I do think the 17-18 team defensively, at least in terms of the names on that list, are better than who the Jets currently have. But again, you're then going up, you're either taking a team that has more names, more quote unquote, you could say star power over the team that may not be as good in terms of names on paper, but is analytically, stylistically, and strategically the better team. Like I, I, I really think that this Jets team is this good off of, Yes, everything kind of coming together this year and all the players playing all at the same high level. But I really think it has to do with the way that Rick Bonus has coached the team. I think it's how he set up his systems. I think it's the way that the Jets are playing their game, the way that they're structured, especially defensively. Um, But it's it's really hard to turn down that 17-18 team with how much, how, how, as you could say how deep they were, but more in terms of, um defensively i'd say they were more deep but yeah i I, if if i just was gonna say i think if i had to choose i'd probably still take this year's team just off of the way the depending if it's a if if it ends up becoming a coaching battle i'm probably taking rick bonus Mm -hmm. brian i think the the thing that i'm looking at most here is the five on five play um because obviously that is what you see the most in a season and this year's team is one of the best five on five teams both on the offensive side of things and their defensive play is one of the best showings i've seen especially with the jets um since that 2017-18 team and i i truly think that that for me does vault this year's team ahead because if you start looking at like things like special teams which are obviously it's a minority of you know chances obviously that 2017-18 team was much better they were above average in you know all of the uh, of both power play and penalty kill um but i truly think that with how well the jets are performing at five on five uh in the fact that they're sitting top of the league with a less than serviceable power play, a less than serviceable penalty kill. It says a lot about how good this team truly is. And then you still have Connor Hellebuck playing at the level that he is. So I, I I think that with the sort of the level of play there, I think I'm taking this year's team. Um, if you can combine the two and get the the power play and uh, penalty kill from 2017-18, uh, uh, this team would be the it would be unstoppable. Yeah. I I agree with that last sentence. The the special teams would be much appreciated. I I'm gonna disagree with you both. Um that 2017-18 team um I think was was loaded when you get to the, the coaching question and whether or not Paul Maurice held them back a little bit. Um I think Rick Bonus is the better coach and he's proved that this year. His systems are better. Uh, and I agree with that, the five on five play. But if I'm taking a team on paper, um, it's easily, in my opinion, the 2017-18 team. I mean, their fourth line center was Brian Little. Uh, they had Pro Little Armia was their fourth line with Jack Roslovic, a healthy scratch. Um, I and then ten of Lowry Kopp as their third line. Kopp went on to sign a a, a top six money deal. 
Um, Brandon Tanev signed for five million less than Nino Niederreiter. Like these, Tyler Myers, who was on this team, signed for six million dollars. Um, like it was, is this team? Everyone in their role was playing at a level that got them a contract that was like wait like it's over is they overpaid for brandon tanev like it was a bit of a bit of an overpay um it was a definite overpay for andrew cobb and it was a definite overpay for tyler myers like these players i know cobb was a few years removed from 2017 18 but that was maybe the best version of who he he was as a player then you add in you know it's the peak of patrick liney's career probably um Nikolai Ehlers was 21. Connor Shifley Wheeler was a dominant top line at the time. Like we know the Jets held on to that line too long in the end. But in 2017, 18, they were a great combination. Uh, they went into Nashville and beat, and I know this Jets team can make these same the, the these things can happen. Um we're only halfway through the season, like I said, but I just can't discredit the fact that they went into Nashville and beat Nashville in a game seven and thoroughly outplayed Vegas in that Western Conference final. And Marc-Andre Fleury kind of just stole the series. Um, and then if, you know, the hockey gods were maybe on the Jets' side, what happens in the Stanley Cup final? Who knows? But I just can't shake, shake that thought of – I can't shake that thought of Marc-Andre Fleury just completely goalieing this team in the Western Conference finals. And that, for me, just puts this team – because. Like we've said, the special teams, the five on five, like that 2017 18 team was really good at five on five. Plus, they had a power play that was, I think, 23%, over 23%. I have it up here. Hold on. Um, 20. Okay, their penalty kill was 81.75%, which I know is higher than the, the Jets team this year. And then their power play was 23.3%. League average was 20% that year. I don't know. Uh, Patrick Line did a lot for that. A lot of damage from the one-timer spot, but I, I'm going to disagree. I, I would take 2017-18 still, just because you look at this team is deep. 2017-18 was deeper, in my opinion. I, I that's that's just where I'm at with that. And Connor Hellbuck is Connor Hellbuck. He's been great both years. He's arguably been he's arguably been better this year, actually. So I, I think yeah. I was going to say like, what's the yeah. I think that's a harder question. Which version of Connor Hellbuck do you want this year? This year, I think. He's been he's been incredible. He's number one in the league in goal saved about expected. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna take 2017-18 because I think they're the deeper team. They have the better special teams, and they're not like a slouch five on five. I know this team this year is dominant five on five, and that's the reason they're on this streak. But they're um, a slouch more, everywhere else. <laughs> which is which is the more consistent way to win and consistent way to play. And we've this team has been unbelievably consistent. I just think the ceiling for the 2017-18 team is higher. Than this year's team, given the special teams, that's my that's my take. Um, yeah, I I, I, yeah, I, I want to I want to agree because I do think that this team has or this team is. I personally think that this team is deeper. But again, like I said, I think the names on the seventeen eighteen team are bigger and are more prominent, and so they bring a little bit more pulling power. Maybe there's recency bias why I pick this 23 24 team but the the 17 18 team i think there there were that also i think the other thing too is i know again it could be recency bias but this 23 24 team has shown to be much more consistent the 17 18 team really felt like 
they'd win three, four in a row, and then they'd lose two in a row, or and then they'd win three, four in a row, and then they'd lose three. Like it, it really felt like it was this swinging pendulum. And at times, it felt like in that playoff run that they hit the upswing. They 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 were one of the teams that hit the it got to the good times right as the playoffs started, and they swung into momentum. And it just felt like as much as they were good in that Vegas series and Marc-Andre Fleury stole it, it really felt like the pendulum was swinging back and they kind of run out of the luck that they had gotten because they were a good team, but at times it felt like they were too streaky. And not to say that this team hasn't gotten any luck yet, and we'll see you here in the playoffs, but it, I genuinely do think that this 23-24 team is much more consistent than the 17-18 team. Yeah, I... I, I agree with the consistency thing. Um, my my thought process is more like if you're taking one of these teams to win the Stanley Cup, I'm taking 17-18 just because of that yeah. ceiling. Um, I mean, you have prime Blake Wheeler. You have prime Dustin Bufflin. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. You have Mark Shifley at 24, and we know what he did in that playoff run. Like, I think that's the best version of Mark Shifley we've ever seen. I know some people like to say this year, but that that is recency bias if you really want to define yeah. it. Um, like 2017-18, there was a genuine conversation if he was like a top five center in the league. That's yeah. not a conversation. This like I can't stand that conversation or that discourse. Um, but anyways, that's another discussion. Mark Shifley, 24 years old. They trade for Paul Stastny. Jacob Trubo is 23. Now he's the captain making top line money. Um, Josh Morrissey was 22. And he wasn't as good as he is now, but he was he was a good second pairing defenseman. Adam Lowry was 24. Like all these guys were in their prime. Line A, Ehlers. Line A was 19. Ehlers was 21. Cal Connor was 21. Um, like these are all 21 to 25 is when you want your players to like that's when they're peaking. Um, and then you have Dustin Bufflin and Blake Wheeler, who were over the age of 30 but still smack dab in the middle of their prime and playing at the peak of their powers. I just don't think this team, this year's team is that, that deep. Um, and yeah, they've been more consistent at five on five, but I don't think the ceiling is there. Brian, do you have any, any final thoughts on the subject? Uh, I think the ceiling's there. I, I, I truly do. Um, that's why I, I think obviously, yeah, there's the discussion to be made because you also saw like it, it, that, that's almost a level of, confirmation with the the ceiling of the 2017-18 team was you saw how good they played in that western conference final so it's like you can make that assumption that they if they made it through they could have won the cup um i think obviously you're basing it on a smaller sample size but i don't necessarily think i agree that the ceiling for this team is lower because of how they play in the you know most dominant aspect of the the game yeah yeah I, that that's fair. I I just think this team, this year's team, to me, feels like a team playing into a system, the best a team could ever play into a system. Like they are, they have adopted Rick Bonus's system, and every player, top line through bottom pairing D, is fully bought in, and they're they're protecting the house. They're doing all these things, playing great five on five. The 2017-18 team feels more like their pure talent and willpower was the reason that they were that good. It didn't feel like they were playing into a system. And maybe if they did, they'd won the cup. Um, I'm not saying this year's team is like system dependent, but it just feels like the 2017-18 team was more just kind of freelancing it. And they were just the most talented team in the NHL. 
who ran into a hot goalie. That that's that was my feeling at the time, and it still remains that way. I, I think it still also has to do with if you're going to talk ceiling, you also have to hope that that team reaches its ceiling. I personally think that if you put the two team ceilings, yes, maybe that the that this year's team may not have as high of a ceiling as that 17-18 team. I still think that there's a better chance that the 23-24 team hits their ceiling. They're more consistent that way than the 17-18 team hits their ceiling. Like if you're saying 60, like like playoff run, whoever first to 16 wins, wins the cup, obviously, right? My my personal thing is there's a better chance that the 17-18 team is more inconsistent, doesn't hit their ceiling every game than the 23-24 team. I think nine out of 10 games, this team hits their ceiling. Six out of 10 games, the 17-18 team hits their ceiling or six out of 10 times. And so then that's where you get into a conversation of, do they run into a hot goalie? Do they kind of get to a point where... like they, They were the second best team in the league that year and they beat the best team in the playoffs. They like, had 114 points. I, like, I don't, I don't think I can, I don't think this like, team I, hits that. I, uh, I, just, I, they're on pace for it, but, uh, um, I think they're, they're on pace, like right at it, like 110, 112 or something like that. And I, again, the fourth line is going to slow down here. Um, everyone is on pace for a career high in goals. Like I, again, I, I'm not saying this team is like system dependent and fraudulent. Like they've been fantastic. They're five on five juggernaut. I just think it's a bit of recency bias because they've won like 20 of their last 21 yeah. games. Um, and it's, I, I I don't know. I just, I don't think this team has a ceiling. You look at the defense core. What was it? Enstrom, Bufflin, Morrissey, Truba was the top four. I'm taking that 10 times out of 10 over. Oh, Morris, I don't just Mello, Dylan, Pionk. Oh, I don't disagree with you on that. I'm just saying yeah. that I think this team is, quote unquote, more consistent, and it may be based on that system. But I think there's a better chance that they hit their ceiling than that 17-18 team, just in terms of consistency. But I I agree. The 17-18 team has way more names, has way more power behind it. I and again, like you've said, like I've said, maybe recency bias. But I still think that this 23-24 team has a little bit more in terms of consistency. And it may just be down to system. Yeah. And and the system's played a big part in that. And you could use that as a detriment to the 2017-18 team. Like maybe if they had a system as good as Rick Bonuses, as detail-oriented, as as disciplined as we've brought up many times, maybe they they uh play a more consistent game and beat Vegas. But I don't know, man. I that 2017-18 team was special. I thought they were the best team in the league that year. I still do. They still outplayed Vegas in the third round. They still lost. Um, and we'll forever have to have to have that memory that they what could have been, right? Um, I just think the firepower, the talent, it's all there. Uh, and I I I it would take a lot for me to say that a team was better than that 2017-18 team just because of the names. Um what would it take? Again, what, what what would it take? The just, just if, this it. if this if this year's team won a cup, I'd say they're better than 2017. That that besides that, I don't think they're honestly like if they win the cup, if they make a big deadline acquisition, um, they pick up both a top four D and a center, and they roll through the West 
get to the Western Conference Finals, beat a, beat a good team, beat a Vegas, Colorado, whoever, and then win the cup. Yeah, they're better than 2017-18, but or make it to the cup finals, I guess make it yeah. further than the team than than the other uh team, but I'd say get know, a man. sweep in there. I I'd say sweep and make the cup finals. I think is they're for sure better than 17-18. Yeah, I I agree. I think also 2017-18 like you I I in my head they outplayed Vegas in that third series and they didn't win it. So if the Jets win a third series, yes, they're better than the 2017-18 team. But it would take them winning that series. Because also, if they lose the third round, but they play better, they outplay the team at 5-on-5 and get goalie just like 2017-18, um, then, then, then it's even. Then it's even, right? Then then they're even. Uh, and you could say, like, oh, one team had higher ceiling, one team was more consistent. They did it in their own way, but they ended up in the same spot. I think until they make the finals, I don't think there's a team that's better than 17-18. That's just that's just my thought process on it. Cuz I think that team was the best team in the league that year. I don't know if the Jets right now they're the best team in the league. They have been for a month and a half. Um but come playoff time if they make no additions, I don't know if I'd take them to win the cup. I, I they'd be up there. They'd be top 3. They'd be top 4. Like they're a bona fide top 4 team in the league. 2017-18 going into the year or going into the playoffs, they were, in my opinion, top two, and they beat whoever number they beat whoever would have been number one, which mm-hmm. was Nashville. So um that's a great question, though. What would it take? It's a great question. And yeah. I think they'd have to make the finals. Yeah, but I, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting discussion. We'll keep that in mind through the playoffs and through the trade deadline. Uh, because if they add a 2C, a bona fide 2C, and a top 4D, then we can revisit this conversation, and uh, I might be all aboard uh, your guys' thought process. But until then, I just can't really test, trust a team with... I know Nemesikov's been great, um, but maybe he's punching above his his weight class right now uh, as the 2C. He was a first-round pick, so don't... don't uh, I believe he was. If I'm not mistaken, they picked him above uh, Kucherov, I think. They got Kucherov and Domestikov. Oh, yeah. 27th I, overall in 2011. Wow. He he is a former first overall pick. I remember when he wow. had a very, very high ceiling. So I, I he may be punching above Maybe his just... a little bit, but I don't think he's punching more than most people think he is. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Okay. So, But I do agree. They, they need a 2C. And I personally think they should go for a defenseman first, but they'll probably go for a T- 2C first. So either way, we'll, we'll see what happens in the upcoming months. It should be, yeah. it's going to be, a, Connor said the other day in our chat, this is going to be a really fun next four or five months. This is going oh, yeah. to yeah. be some good time. I mean, it's already, it's already a blast. This team is just absolutely rolling. Uh, it's fun to talk about them for, we're over an hour now. Um we could go for another hour because this team, there's so many ways to describe them, but yes, trade deadline. Um, we're going to try and get some guests on starting next week. Um, we did say to Scott Wheeler a few months ago that we'd have him back on after the world juniors. We're going to try and get Scott next week. Um, and then we'll get some more guests going into the trade deadline. Um, because we've made our thoughts clear on what we think the jets need, but other people may think they need a different position or may offer up a different target. Um, so we'll definitely get on that in the future. If you guys have anything else, um, now's your chance, but if that's it, yeah, that's it. All right. Episode 61. 
of the Level Five Podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Make sure you're keeping up on our socials at Level Flight WPG, uh, where we'll be posting this episode, clips, um, everything you need. We've been posting a lot on Instagram as well. So make sure you check out that Instagram and Facebook, Level Flight WPG. Find us everywhere. Um, it's been a blast to talk about this team. Could go on on that 2017 18 discussion for a long time, but let's cut it short. Um, Again, thank you everyone for listening. We will be back next week, maybe with Scott Wheeler, maybe not, but make sure you check it out next Wednesday or Thursday for episode 62, the Nino Niederreiter episode of the Level 5 podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. We will see you next week. Peace. You're listening to the Level Flight podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. 